Darkcast Network. The light shines brightest on our indie podcasts. Chris, you have to leave. You have to leave the comment in there. You have to. Chris, do not leave that comment in there. <laughs> Chris, you have to. Don't do listen not, to that. Do not. I am you, not. You need... can leave it and you can leave it in Kevin's. Yeah, you can leave it in Kevin's episode. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter because guess what? What? It, he's not going to be able to cut it out. It was a run on sentence. Oh, you little. <laughs> <laughs> That's possibly true. Side note. Not... What? What? No. What? No. I was going to read the next sentence. No. What do you want? I don't remember now. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, nerdlings, to Heist Month here at CTN. Ash and I have planned out some interesting tales of capers, mostly mostly unsolved ones, and we've invited some special guests and friends to come and join us and share in these tales of robberies that have become legends and even folklore of sorts. We will be doing the breakdowns within the episodes this month, so we actually will be doing four new episodes this month, which, nice little fun change. And we're going to be kicking off Heist Month with the story of the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum Heist, which is actually out of Boston, Massachusetts. And we've got our special guest and a host of the amazing podcast, The Jury Room, who is here with us to join us on dissecting these capers and sharing the stories with y'all. So, Kevin, do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about you and your podcast? And, of course, where they can find it. And uh, for all of those who haven't had a chance to add the jury room to their binge listening lists, definitely go check it out. You should. You will not regret it. So my name is Kevin. I'm host of the Jury Room Podcast. As some of you listeners might remember me from, we did the Sharon Harper case from the UK. Mm-hmm. But if you haven't heard of me, um, the Jury Room Podcast is a single narrative, uh, true crime-based podcast where i tell a story and then i bring a guest on for the next episode so you are getting four episodes a month right now i'm working on a series that i'm super super excited Mm. about Mm. and it's going to be a series within the jury room you know it'll be true crime content plus a series on addiction it's going to be called addicted it's i'm hoping to have start releasing episodes by may 1st Uh, so with that being said if you or a loved one has a story on addiction or substance abuse and you'd like to share that story, you can reach out to me at juryroompodcast at gmail.com. You can find me on most social media platforms at juryroompodcast. And wherever you are listening to this podcast, more than likely you can find me there. But yeah, I'm super excited to be here. Nat and Ash are probably like the OG of the podcasting friends that I've made, but... The reality is, is that they have they have since become family, and uh, I love them both very much, and I'm I'm really excited to be here. So thanks for having me, guys. Anytime, friend. Literally, you are one of our closest, nearest, and dearest. So of course, we're going to always invite you to come do silly shenanigans with us. So. Always shenanigans. <laughs> always shenanigans. <laughs> so, um, literally, we've all been friends for years now. That's crazy, and it's cool that we met through podcasting because we probably wouldn't have ever crossed paths but Mm -hmm. we all became such good friends from this so 
It's a very sweet thing. Absolutely. It's, it's a yeah. nice thing. Because we absolutely yeah. live on the opposite sides of the country. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Kevin is up I at like think, 7 a.m. Right. I don't think we can get any further away from each other, but mm-hmm. you know, somehow we, we still became, you know, really good friends. So oh, yeah. It's exciting. I probably talk to you more than I do my husband most days. <laughs> <laughs> Jay's always like, how's Kevin? And I'm like, he's good. <laughs> I'm your podcasting husband now. You are legit, you <laughs> legit my podcasting husband for sure. Um, you're like Ash's podcasting big brother and my right. podcasting husband. Yeah. Right. Uh, the fair. amount of times we all send each other episodes and we're like, can you listen to this and tell me if it's okay? Right. And Kevin has saved us oh, <laughs> with uh, so many editing times. problems and oh, what and just you, so. website issues. And I mean, if we're gonna mess up, Kevin is usually thank thank God for Kevin because <laughs> he is usually the one that catches the mess up early on and is like, "Hey, did y'all mean to do this?" And we're like, "No, no, we didn't." So it's it's awesome to have an awesome friend in podcasting. No, I agree 100%. And th- again, yeah. thanks for having me. Oh, anytime. Yes, Nat and I are so, so, so happy to have Kevin here to talk about a somewhat lighter episode of CTN than usual. Mm-hmm. And have any of us actually gone to the Gardner Museum? I have no. not, no. Yeah, I haven't either. No, so- and we're like close. I've been to the Boston Museum, um, but mm-hmm. not Gardner. We'll have to add Gardner to the list, Ash. We'll have to go. Yeah, we'll add it to the big long list that we have. Yeah, it's it, we do. But it's New England. Kevin, when you come visit us, you can come to the Gardening Museum, too. We'll go on an adventure. Absolutely. Deal. I'm on my way right yeah. now. All right, you get that plane ticket. It's coming. It's it's already on the way. I'm coming. Like, I'm flying. I'm on the plane right oh, now. Oh, okay, cool. I, I don't think they allow Wi-Fi on the planes anymore. You have to pay for it. So yeah, I get airplane that's, mode. That's fine. Yeah, airplane mode. <laughs> right. <laughs> this is the tone for the episode tonight, friends. This is the tone. <laughs> Heads up now. This is not a serious episode. We are going mm-hmm. to be goofy. Yeah, we need to, like, let her hair down every once in a while. So. Yeah, we haven't done it. This is kind of like a cross between Nerd Bites breakdown mm-hmm. and kind of an episode. Kind of. Yeah. It's a it weird really mixture. It's, uh, this might be the, like, epicness of all of the episodes of CTN. This might be mm-hmm. it. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're, I mean, I'm pretty pumped to kick off the heist. I'm, I'm sure Hell you two yeah. are as well. We've got this notorious unsolved case from Boston, Massachusetts, so. I do love me a heist. Mm-hmm. It's time to grab your flashlights and your admission tickets and join us as we venture down the quiet hallways of a famous art museum in Boston, Massachusetts. God, Kevin, can you just do our intro all the time? (laughs) Why is it? That's not fair when Kevin sounds better than ours. (laughs) All right, right. from here on out, it's Kevin doing ours. That's just, I'll give it to you every week, Kev. Thanks. Or, or you could just, you have it recorded now. You could just. I'm going to eat your... every episode. It's going to be, <laughs> we're going to the Boston Museum. <laughs> oh my God. Oh yeah, that's right. It does, stupid. <laughs> I might do it just for funsies because it's pretty funny, but only on light episodes. <laughs> on March 18th, 1990. Thieves broke into the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum and stole several invaluable masterpieces. 28 years later, the frames remain empty, as no one has ever been caught in regards to the theft and the art stolen has never been found. 
It was a chilly February night in the winter of 1991 when a man by the name of James Marks returned home from a trip to Maine. Marks was from Lynn, Massachusetts and had a home there. That night in February, an unknown gunman crept up behind him and would open fire on James Marks. Marks was killed with two blasts from a shotgun. The gunman would never be caught. He left on foot that night, and despite leaving behind some footprints, his identity has never been found. There was, however, a mob associate who has since been thought to have possibly been involved and has been implicated, but unfortunately, that man has since passed away. In recent years, authorities think that they may finally have a lead in one of the most infamous unsolved crimes in Boston history, that of the 1990 break-in and subsequent thefts of one-of-a-kind art masterpieces that is thought to be valued at more than $500 million. It's thought that the theft and the murder of James Marks who himself was a hustler and convicted bank robber, are possibly related. Well, of course they're f***ing related. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if some guy kind of randomly ends up dead who has a history of robbing banks... Mm -hmm. I mean, I would kind of put them, they kind of go hand in hand. Right, around the time that this famous art museum is broken into, it kind of tracks... So what do you think the $500 million would be Oof. worth now? Oh, man. Oh, God. Because this is 1990, so we're talking right. 30 years ago. Oh, I think... Just let that sink in. That 1990 Oof. was 30 years ago. <laughs> oh, that hurt my soul. <laughs> I remember 1990. Ash was born in 1990. Oh, why? Why do you do that to me? Sorry, wait, were you born in... No, you weren't born in 92. 92. I wasn't even born yet. You weren't even born! I wasn't even a thought, okay? Wow. Wow. So it just gets worse. Yeah, your brother was like 10 at that age, so... Sweet. Yeah, we're old. We're getting old. Kevin's with me. We're old. (laughs) It all begins with Isabella Stewart Gardner... Isabella was a wealthy woman who loved theater and the arts. She was a philanthropist, and through her philanthrop... What the... (laughs) Why back-to-back? Why back-to-back? I'm so sorry. Philanthropic. (laughs) She was a philanth... Yep. And I did so good the first time I said it, too. You did so good. Okay, hold on. Let me let me compose this. myself. Ash, stop laughing. It's I know, fine. she's the worst. <laughs> she was a philanthropist, and through her philanth... How? Oh my god, I hate you. I'm so sorry. And this I didn't even know about. this was in there when I, when I this, gave everybody I, their This program. is what I go through every time oh. I read a... Oh, me too, me too. Uh, No, you two stop ganging up here. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to just put more in. Philanthropic? Thropic? Philanthropic. Yep, philanthropic. She was a philanthropist and through her philanthropic work opted to open her very own art museum. After she realized that her art collection had grown to the point of overflowing in her own home. 
man, I wish I had those kind of problems. <laughs> I was just thinking that. I was like, man, I my, wish I could have that issue. My art is, it's filled up my house. I need it's, to open a yeah. gallery. <laughs> I have enough money to open my very own museum. Right. And I will name it after me. And it will right. have all of my personal artwork in there. Oh, man. I can't even imagine having that much money. I mean, it's really nice that she did do something for the community. But mm-hmm. could you imagine just like having all this priceless art in your home? Uh, no. Actually, maybe <laughs> she should have kept it in her home. Maybe that would have been safer. Yeah. <laughs> just saying. Isabella and her husband would build the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston. It would go to give art to the world and house some of the most prolific artists of all times work. What the f- sentence? That's a weird all-time work. Okay. Okay. It would go to give art to the world and house some of the most prolific artists of all time. <laughs> Dude, that is not working for me. That no. is a f***ed up sentence. I would just go with, uh, yeah, that it houses some of the most prolific artists. That might be all the right. best way to go with that, 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 that sounds good. All right. Yeah, there's no fixing that. I, I don't know what I did. <laughs> it was late. <laughs> it's <was> two. <laughs> it would go to give art to the world. Wait, what? Now, it's this whole sentence is f***ed, nah. It would go to give art to the world. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, okay, That's okay. okay. I, got, I got it. I got it. It's it would weird... go... It would go on. Stop. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see where you're going with that. Yeah. Go with what you're doing. That's right. It would go on to give art to the world and house some of the most prolific artists. Isabella would pass away in 1924 when she was 84 years old. That's pretty cool, though, that she lived to 84. Especially in that time. Yeah. Right. She's like 200 years old, basically. That's Mm -hmm. what that says right there. Yeah. And... I don't know. It just seemed like she was happily married. Like, she seemed like a really nice person. Happily married, give back to the well, community. let's not say she's happily married, but she could have been married. She could, She was married. From what <laughs> I was reading, she actually was happily married. Well, that's good. <laughs> it was 1924. Everyone was happy back then, right? Of course, right. Right. Everyone. That's my assumptions. I've right. looked at photos. I know. <laughs> because photos don't lie. Yeah. Right. It's like the internet. Right. They don't right. lie. Right. The of internet, not. everything on the internet is true. A hundred percent. God. <laughs> Her legacy would live on. However, through the museum and the generations of art connoisseurs who would venture to roam through the museum's halls. What no one would believe possible is that less than a hundred years later, someone or a group of people would decide to pull off one of the greatest art thefts of all time. The FBI believes that the theft from the museum was worth at least $500 million, and the museum itself has a $10 million reward just for any information that could lead to the art being found and recovered. That reward is the largest reward ever to be offered by a privately owned institution. The theft would include some of the greatest works of art to ever paint their way across history. Among them was the concert, mm-hmm. right? That's the concert, yeah. right? Okay. Yeah. Among, I wanted to add some artistic name to it or something. I know. <laughs> I had to double check that one like four times. I was like, really? Just the concert? The okay, concert. Vermeer. Yeah. Among them was the concert, 
which was one of only 34 known paintings to exist from the renowned Dutch artist Johannes Vermeer. The artist behind the portrait, the girl with the pearl earring, the concert is thought to currently be the most valuable unrecovered painting in the world. Wow. Not content with just one Dutch master artist, the art thieves would also take the only seascape ever created by famed artist Rembrandt. The piece stolen was titled Storm on the Sea of Galilee. Galileo, Galileo. Oh, God. <laughs> That's staying in, too. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and this is the episode we got sued on. <laughs> oh my god, this is the episode that Chris is going to be like, nah, bro, I'm not editing it. Chris is going to be like, so, <laughs> we're going to have to talk about raises. <laughs> <laughs> the piece stolen was titled Storm on the Sea of Galilee. They would also take several other paintings and sketches by Rembrandt. Works that were nearly 400 years old and almost priceless. Other artworks stolen would include works from famed artist Edward. Why do you give me the hardest parts? I, I, I felt. I really thought it was going to go to Ash. I literally did not mean she to. did. She totally switched these out. It was supposed to be Ash. All right. All right. I am going to definitely butcher the out of these. I hate name pronunciations. Do you want? Other, I can take over. And no, it's fine. Okay. No, it's fine. You're like, I got this. I got this. Other artworks stolen would include works from famed artists Edgar Dega, Edward Monet, and Gauvert Flink. Art experts were brought in after the initial theft was discovered, and there was a consensus of surprise around the choices of art that were stolen initially from the museum. This museum was one of the most prolific museums to ever hold art. There were art pieces within the museum's walls that were worth far more than the pieces that were taken. Well, that's interesting that they, they chose. Yeah. They didn't even choose the most, you know, expensive ones. Mm. Yeah, there were pieces in there that were worth way, like double what the ones they took were. It's almost like they were just grabbing and going in a way, but... It's more calculated than that. Well, if you've ever seen the storm on the Sea of Galilee. Yeah, it's oh beautiful. Oh my gosh, that is such a pretty painting. Oh, all of these were, yeah. These are stunning. I mean, these are the masters of art right here that they took. It's almost like one of those like supermarket giveaways when you're like, okay, you have five minutes to go in the supermarket True. and take whatever you want. <laughs> it's like, I would use my eyes. I would just take like oh, the prettiest things. <laughs> the things that stood out. Maybe that's it. Maybe they were looking for ones that like stood out the most or that they knew were like they were probably looking for names that were recognized like these were famous painters Vermeer so Rembrandt mm -hmm. so they were like we'll just grab like a couple of each because these are famous Dutch painters we know that they'll go well on the market it is surprising though that they didn't pick they obviously didn't know that what was in there yeah that makes you sense. know if you knew you'd go for the expensive one I would think if you were mm -hmm. like if you were went to all the trouble to rob something get the most expensive one don't go rob something. But if you were going to, I would want the most expensive one. Well, plus in a lot of heist movies, I mean, I know they're movies, but a lot of the times the thieves will go into the museum and like check it out right. beforehand. So they must have like done their oh, research. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good call. Yeah, or had like someone in mind mm -hmm. that they knew they could sell yeah. these paintings to. Or maybe they had a list. Maybe that someone had given a list of specific pieces that they wanted. Yeah. 
Interesting, though. Oh, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> I could just I I could just read the whole time. It's fine. It's it, fine. I I was I was in. A, this is a jury room takeover. I would be okay if you took over. You wanted to keep doing the art names? Oh no! F- you. Oh. <laughs> it all would begin on March eighteenth, nineteen ninety. It was the early morning hours of that Sunday when two men were spotted around twelve thirty a.m. by some witnesses who had been attending a St. Patrick's Day party. Initially, no one thought anything of the two men who sat parked in a hatchback vehicle only a hundred feet from the museum's entrance. The two men were dressed as police officers, and so no one questioned their reasons for being near the museum that late at night. The museum guards on duty that night were Rick Abbott, a 23-year-old who had worked at the museum for some time. With Abbott that night was 25-year-old Randy Heston. Randy had just started his job at the museum, and it was his first time on the night shift. Can you imagine your first night working, and lo and behold, one of the biggest art heist of all time happens on your watch? Uh, I mean, it's probably a good person to think about that might be involved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. True. I was thinking the yeah. same thing, yeah. yeah. Abbott was there that night as well, as he was regularly the night watchman and would be helping Randy Heston on his first night's shift. It was customary that there would always be two guards on duty during the night shifts at the museum. One guard would patrol the floors of the museum with a flashlight and a walkie-talkie, while the other would sit at a security desk in order to report anything suspicious. I feel like I would have more than two. I mean, yes. If I owned a museum, <laughs> I would feel like I, I need five. I mean, it five. would be worth billions of dollars, right? You yeah. Think more than two <laughs> people would be in there. If just the work that was taken alone was $500 million, I would have security guards in every room. like By every mm-hmm. painting. Yeah, right? I know like when you go to the muse- art museum in Boston, there are security everywhere when you go in. So I wonder if it's mm-hmm. all from when the Gardner Museum got broken into. If after that, that's when security like doubled down. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. I wonder if it was because of that. Because it's in the same area. Or it's not in the same area, but it's also in Boston. So it's two. these are two big art museums in the area. Mm-hmm. Rick Abeth would take the first patrol of the museum that night. Hold on. Stop. Oh. Did you say Abeth earlier or Abeth? Oh, I may have. I'm not sure. I think it's Abeth, right? I think New England took over there. Actually, these are all New Englanders. So, yeah. Rick Abeth. It's definitely Abbath, yeah. It's definitely Rick Abath. Abath, Abath, <laughs> Abath. Take Abath. Um, <laughs> now I'm giggling. Rick Abath. Whoops, I did it again. Rick Abath. There we go. Rick Abath would take the first patrol of the museum that night. While walking the halls, he was caught off guard when fire alarms began to ring throughout the museum. Rick checked various rooms throughout the museum looking for any signs of smoke or a fire. But he wasn't able to find the source of the issue that had triggered the museum's fire alarms. Rick Abbott immediately returned to the security room in order to check the museum's fire alarm control panel. The panel showed that there was smoke in several of the museum's rooms, yet no smoke had been seen by Rick on his check through. Rick decided that it must have just been a malfunction with the control panel, and that's what had triggered the alarms. Rick shut the panel down so as not to trigger any further alarms. No! I know. Uh-oh. Convenient. <laughs> that night. Convenient. That's like, that's like the scene in the movie that you see when you're watching and you're like, no. Right? You're like, don't, don't do don't it. 
sir, it's not good for you. <laughs> it is convenient, however, right? It's a little convenient. Mm-hmm. Yep. So what is yeah, your guys' favorite heist movie? Oh, favorite heist movie? Oof, mm. I've got a lot. Uh, yeah, that's... I, I really do. I love a heist. I love Italian American job. Animals. Oh, yours is American. <laughs> I haven't like seen a, that. It's a new one. I have to watch that one. I really like Italian Job. I am a big fan of Italian Job. I think the best heist movie... Well, one of the best heist movies was uh, The Inside Job with Denzel Washington. Oh, that's, like, serious. That was a good one. Yeah. Actually, oh, I should watch that. It's been a long time. Oh, you know, I like the Oceans movies, too. They're fun. Those are good, too. Those are just, like, yeah, fun. Yeah, they are, they are good. I actually just watched that. What started this all, actually, was that I was watching Oceans 8 for the first time. And I'm watching it, and I enjoyed it thoroughly. I know it didn't get good reviews, but I enjoyed it. And um, the whole time, I was like, I want to do a whole series on just heist. And that's how this came from it, because I just find them entertaining. <laughs> Have you guys seen the movies uh, Have You Seen Me? No, is it good? Oh my god, it's so good. Really? Maybe yeah, I'll watch that. that. Have it's you really seen good. me? Oh wait, is that the one with the magicians? Mm-hmm. Oh, I've been oh, wanting to see that forever, yes, yes, and I yes. have not actually sat and watched it. Maybe I'll do that this weekend. See, and you get movie recommendations <laughs> in this podcast today. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Where was I? Rick oh, Abbott these... would return to his rounds. Right, he's shut off all the alarms now. So yeah, there's that. Oh, Rick. Rick, Rick, Rick. This was a bad call. Rick Abbott would return to his rounds. He picked up where he had previously been and then would make one quick stop at the museum's side entrance where he opened the door and then subsequently shut it once more. He never explained to Randy Heston why he had opened the side entrance door. Suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> shady. Rick Abbott. I also lo- I oh. also need to correct myself really quick. So it, wh- I was thinking of the wrong movie. I was thinking of Twenty One. Twenty Twenty One is a good one too. I haven't yeah, seen that. Yeah. I got it's it. kind of like heisty, I guess. They're like uh, they go like, in and they they wreak havoc. So. Do we consider like Snatch? Is that like a heist movie? It's. Rick Abbott left the side entrance and finished his rounds, returning back to the security room and Randy Heston around 1 a.m. Upon Rick's return to the security room, Randy would pick up a shift and begin to make his rounds throughout the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum. It would only be 20 minutes later before all hell would break loose upon the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum. At 1.20 a.m., the two officers would drive up to that side entrance, right where Rick Abbott had been opening the door just half an hour before. Convenient. The officers rang the museum's entrance buzzer. The buzzer's interface would patch them through directly to the security room and Rick Abbott. Once they had Rick on the intercom, they explained to him that they were police officers who'd been sent to investigate a possible disturbance at the museum. To Rick Abbott, the two men looked just as one would expect an officer of the law to look. They wore what looked to be real police uniforms, from what he could see through the museum's television monitoring system. Rick hadn't heard any disturbance outside of the fire alarms, but he assumed that with it being St. Patrick's Day, someone had possibly gotten too drunk and climbed over the museum fence, and witnesses had reported the incident to the police. Hmm, that's an assumption. Mm-hmm. 
like, I don't know. I feel like it'd be a red flag though, right? Like all of your fire alarms have just gone off and now the police are showing up at your doorstep. Like maybe that is why they they picked the St. Patrick's Day because they're like, oh, well, mm. we can just say somebody jumped the fence. I hadn't even drunk. really put together the, the time frame too. That's a good call on the date. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like pick the rowdiest day of the year in yeah, Boston. And- and the rowdiest day, but all the other police officers are going to be probably in the city dealing with those rowdy people. Uh, all right, Ash. I, I see where you're going. Good Gears call. Gears are turning. You Gears got this. <laughs> yeah, you got this. You got this. Rick let the officers into the museum, allowing them into the locked foyer. A foyer? Foyer? Foyer. Uh, I always foyer? struggle. Foyer. I always struggle on that word. I think it's foyer. Right? Foyer, yeah. I think okay, I'm foyer. going with foyer. I think you can say either way, but yeah, foyer. In American English, foyer. In British English, foyer. We're New Englanders. This is not the worst word they've gotten, especially. <laughs> I like NPTSD'd over especially. Don't forget no espresso. Espresso. Yeah. Espresso. Yeah. How do you say it? Espresso. Is, what do we say? Espresso. Espresso? You're supposed to say espresso, I think. But yeah, everybody says it's, it's, espresso. It's an S, but everybody says it with an X. X. Yeah. Or yeah, both. Espresso. I put a fing L at the end for some reason, and I cringe every time I hear it in my recording. What is it? What word? Both. Both? Both. 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 Oh, it's the accent. Both. both. That must be the West Coast or more oh. like where you're from accent, because we say. What do we say? Both. Both. Yeah. Well, both yeah, but, is the way to say it. I'm yeah, just we say it higher. No, no, I think it's an accent. Well, like, are just... you saying like both, like B O T H? Yes. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Both. <laughs> oh wow. I can see that. I can hear your oh, judgment yeah. in your voice, asshole. <laughs> Thanks for that. Ash. Is, is my judgment showing? I'm so sorry. <laughs> Your video is so weird, and I can still see it showing. You can see the judgment in her eyes. I love that. I'm saying B O T H both. (laughs) Yes, Ash. I'm saying both. All right. (laughs) We can't judge Kevin. We say X. I can't even do it. Ash, say it. Yeah, I don't even know. Especially or especially, I don't even know which one it is anymore. Especially. We say especially up here, like all New Englanders. It's yeah. just an accent thing. So we we are saying S, but it's like X. Like, it's the way we're saying yeah, it. Yeah, but I do. You're right. I do have PTSD ever since that review. I was like, oh, God. Sometimes I write it in and then I catch it and I'm like, get rid of that word. That word, like, traumatized me. I was like, I didn't ever realize we said it funny until that. And then I've, yeah. like, stayed away from it ever since because I'm like, sorry. <laughs> like, I didn't realize it was annoying. It's just an accent. Yeah. <laughs> Rick let the officers into the museum, allowing them into the locked foyer at the front entrance side door. The two officers would come up to Rick Abbott's desk and ask him to make sure that anyone else who was in the museum with him should return to the security room. Rick would decide to radio Randy Heston in order to ask him to return back to the security desk. Not long after Rick had radioed Randy, he began to notice something strange about one of the officers standing in front of him. Rick noticed that the taller of the officers had a mustache that seemed to actually be fake. Hmm. Oh, that's like classic heist movie, the fake right? mustache. <laughs> yeah, and like I just picture the mustache kind of like slowly falling up, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. 
old timey, silly, like all I can picture is like this Charlie Chaplin type mustache. I'm sure it wasn't, <laughs> but that's all I can picture is this like giant mustache. <laughs> the shorter officer looked over at Rick Abbott as he stared at the young man. The officer commented that Rick looked very familiar to him. He then told Rick that they actually had a warrant out for Rick's arrest and Rick should walk out from behind the desk and show the officers his identification. Rick recognized the officer's authority, stepping out from his desk and away from the one panic button that was within his reach behind his desk. The shorter man forced Rick Abbott against the security room wall, spread his legs, and handcuffed him. Oh, Rick. <laughs> Rick, my friend. So Why? Yeah, that's strange, because you'd think that if you were a guard at the museum, they would have done a background check mm. on you. Hmm? So I feel like if you had a warrant out for your arrest, you probably wouldn't have gotten hired there. Yeah. Why was... I mean, obviously he didn't have one, but why... I don't know if maybe... Like, here's the thing. When you see an officer... Your instinct should be to comply, I think. So I think that typically is what most yeah, people that's do. True. So, I mean, I can't yeah. say I wouldn't have done the same in his situation. I definitely would have been like, oh, God, okay, let me just get out from here. We can explain this. I know I don't have a warrant, but let me talk to the officers, you know? So I can understand that. It's just like, oh, man, you because you know where this is going. You're just like, dude, no, don't do it. Yeah, it's like that movie scenario again. It's like, yeah. No. <laughs> it does feel like a movie. Like you read this and you're like, this can't possibly be real. Rick Abbott noticed that the officers didn't frisk him before handcuffing him, a practice that was customary for cops to do when arresting an individual. As Rick Abbott was being handcuffed, Randy Heston walked into the room, returning from his rounds as Rick had directed him to. As soon as Randy entered the security room, the officer with the fake mustache would grab him and turn him around, immediately handcuffing the new guard. It was at this point that the two men admitted they were officers of the law, but in... Huh? Oh, weren't. We're not. Yeah, weren't. Yeah. I was like, what the f*** did I write? <laughs> God, I hate 2 a.m. me. <laughs> She's f***ing mess. She hates was... you too. Yeah, she does. <laughs> she hates podcaster Nat. <laughs> it was at this point that the two men admitted they were not actually officers of the law, but instead were thieves, and this was, in fact, a robbery. Ooh, got punch. Yeah. Yeah. What do you guys think so far? Everything leading up to this moment. Uh, I definitely think that even though these two are being handcuffed, I, I definitely think they had some kind of mm. uh, involvement. It is suspicious, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it is suspicious. And if not both of them, at least one of the guards... Mm -hmm. That's just what is, I get. I'm, I'm with you guys on that because it just seems weird. The whole thing. I mean, like I said, though, they were young. So there's that. But it is a little suspicious that I don't know. The story just seems kind of, you know, how we're saying the story seems like something out of a movie. Mm -hmm. That's exactly the point. The events of that night are told by the two witnesses, these two guards. The two thieves wrapped duct tape all around the heads and the eyes of both Rick Abbott and Randy Heston. The thieves seemed comfortable within the security room and didn't seem to need any help finding what they were looking for. The basement. They led Randy and Rick down into the museum's basement, and once there, they handcuffed the two guards to a steam pipe and a workbench. The thieves had managed to take the two guards' wallets, and they made sure to let the guards know that because they held their wallets, 
They now knew where the two guards lived. They informed the guards that if they didn't tell authorities anything about the theft, they would receive a reward from the thieves in one year. So, that's interesting. (laughs) It almost sounds like somebody is trying to, like, lay the groundwork for if a random deposit ends up in their bank account, they have a reason for it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The other thing, too, is, is they uh, took them into the basement. One thing I wonder, what if it was, like, all of the guards? What if it wasn't just two? What if it was several of them? So, like, they had all planned this together, so that's why they would be, the two, quote, officers would be very comfortable with oh, everything in the museum. Like, you had to, gotcha. do you know what I mean? Like, what yeah, if this what was, saying. like, a full-on inside job? So they were like, okay, these two, they're going to get tied up, blah, blah, blah. You know, we're going to rob this place. Here's how we're going to do yeah. it. We know all the security system. Yeah, or even the the new guy on shift. Maybe he didn't know. And the other two police officers were guards because then the new guy wouldn't recognize them. Oh, that's a really good point, Ash. Mm-hmm. Maybe they waited until there was a new employee. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point. And he would have been new, so they could have easily... He wouldn't have known the systems and processes. Yeah. One thing that stands out is Rick Abbott literally like minutes before the officers show up he opens that side door for no reason to me it seems like it's a sign like a signal like open the door close it be like oh okay just doing my rounds yeah but like if you are the two thieves outside that's a sign of hey it's okay to enter i've dismantled that alarm system now because that's what he did so i don't know that's what it seems like to me yeah that's that's a good point it only took the thieves a total of 15 minutes in order to get into the museum and subdue both museum guards. It was now only 1.35 a.m. We can't even get ready to do a podcast in 15 minutes, (laughs) let alone rob a museum. (laughs) Infrared motion detectors throughout the museum would detect the two thieves as they made their way around the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum. The thieves made their way into the Dutch room, the room that housed some of the most talented artists to ever have been on this earth. When the thieves entered the Dutch room, they set off one of the museum's devices that trip when someone is too close to the artifacts and artwork. The beeping would end when one of the thieves smashed the device, allowing them to take whatever they wanted. The thieves seemed to not register the fact that they were holding paintings that were hundreds of years old. Instead, they would throw the storm of the Sea of Galilee and the painting A Lady and Gentleman in Black onto the marble floor. The impact would shatter the painting's glass frames. The thieves then cut the canvases out of the stretchers that held them. Not only did the thieves steal those two paintings, but they took a large Rembrandt self-portrait painting that was done on wood and then left the painting against a cabinet. Investigators surmised that the Rembrandt painting had been too large and bulky to transport, and so the thieves had discarded it, not wanting to take the risk. Instead, they took a small postage-sized self-portrait etching of Ram. Uh, uh. Instead, they took a small post. <laughs> Instead, they took a small post. <laughs> Instead, I can't say I hate postage. Instead, they took a small postage-sized self-portrait etching of Rembrandt that had been on display directly below the large self-portrait. <laughs> Am I done? Come on, I'm done. Come on, Ash. You got this. Oh God! Isn't Rembrandt Ash Ketchum? Isn't Rembrandt a toothpaste company? I think after the artist, yes. 
All right. No, no, no. It started before the <laughs> artist was born. He's named for the toothpaste. <sighs> All right. Ready for this show? Can I uh, Can I go smoke? Yeah, go for it. We could take a break. I, oh, wait. Are we taking a pause? Because I'm okay with that. Chris, we're pausing. Who's that? Anyone back? Uh, just me. <laughs> just you? Can I go make a cup of coffee, friend? Yeah, go for it. I'll be right back. No, f- no. Where is she going? <laughs> to grab a coffee. God. <laughs> and my stomach kept making noises. <laughs> like it was, and I could he- like I knew it was picking it up. And so when I was editing, you could literally hear my stomach oh making my noises. <laughs> Wait, what? I was like, hell yeah. This is none of your f***ing business. (laughs) No. We're talking about stomach noises. Oh, I hate stomach noises. We're we're both hungry. I am too, actually. So I was like, we're almost done. Nah, I'm going to make it miserable for you. I got this. (laughs) Chris will just cut it. He's used to this. Ash and I had a whole conversation with Chris right now, so it's fine. Aww, what did we yeah. tell Chris? <laughs> that you suck and that he. That's not true. Like you I'm anymore. the best. Chris loves me, and <laughs> we are buddies, and I'm the best boss ever, and he's employee of the month, and that's why you two don't ever get employee of the month. Uh, first Chris of is employee all, of the month. Gross, because you told me. Oh, so you just tell everybody they're employee of the month, or what? I mean, maybe. (laughs) It's kind of a blanket. It really means nothing to anyone at this point. Wait, wait. I'm always employee of the month. I was going to say, I like being employee of the month. What the (laughs) f***? I'll give you employee of the month. No, no, it's fine because apparently Chris is employee of the month now. Chris is always employee of the month. See, it can't be everybody. Everybody can't be employee of the month. That's not how this works. I thought we do that now that everybody wins, right? No, no, no. This is not participation trophy awards. I love me a participation trophy. Oh, my God. (laughs) All right, let's do this. Focus. Sorry. Okay, ready? I'm going to do a clap so Chris knows this is when I'm starting. So we could just be like, from when we say we're going on smoke break to the clap, just cut. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay. At 1.51 a.m., whilst one thief was working in the blue room, the other soon joined in on the blue room thievery. The two thieves worked together in trying to remove screws in an effort to get their hands on the Napoleonic flag. It is thought that they had stopped halfway through for an unknown reason because some screws were still intact. Down. They did, however, take the eagle figurine that rested on top of the flagpole. Among other works of art that they could have taken in the room, they had stolen five of the Dega sketches and the Chez Tortani piece. It could have been a flaw in the system, but it seems as though there was no detection of the thievery that was happening in the Blue Room. Interesting. The only time motion was captured in the Blue Room was when one of the museum workers had walked through the room on their patrol earlier that night. Once the thieves had taken all that they had come for, they were ready to start their departure. To many's surprise, the thieves had actually checked on the guards. They had bound and made sure that they were comfortable before they left. Another interesting fact Hmm. there. The thieves had made sure to erase any clues that they were there by heading over to the security office. They then confiscated the... Oh my god. They then compensated... (laughs) They then compensated. Oh my God! Say that word for me once. Confiscated. Confiscated. That's. 
<laughs> Don't listen to Kevin. <laughs> confiscated. What? Confiscated. <laughs> Don't listen to Kevin? Is that what you said? You said confiscated. Confiscate. No, I didn't. That was fing mad. No, you know what? I'm just not you guys. I hope you struggle. I hope you fing struggle. Oh my god, okay. The thieves had made sure to erase any clues that they were there by heading over to the security office. They then confiscated oh my god. They then confiscated. <laughs> they then confiscated. Did I say it right? No, I didn't. Close. No. <laughs> I didn't want to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> they then conf oh my god, confiscated. Why is it so fing hard for me to say? They then confiscated. oh my god. He they then, then took the tapes. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> there we go. I got you, bud. You wrote confiscated, I not know, me. Oh god. <laughs> They then took the tapes that had videotaped them, entering the building disguised as police op- <laughs> I'm so sorry, guys. <laughs> oh, God. Why, do I, why did I leave myself for the end? They then took the tapes that had videotaped them, entering the building disguised as police officers, along with any other video with possible exposure to their identity. That's interesting. So now... The videos are just gone, so the only actual accounts of what happened that night are the two guards. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that they knew exactly where the security office was. Also, that is very intriguing. I mean, yeah, if you go through the museum, it's pretty easy yeah. to find them, I would assume. I couldn't tell you, and I go to museums a lot, but I'm sure if you were, like, casing the joint, you probably would know. Yeah, but that's true. Still, it's weird. It's weird. Why take the video? I get why they took the video, sure. It's just a little suspicious that... Those videos would be the one thing to say, like, who was actually in that museum that night, mm -hmm. and they're just gone. So, I don't know. That's weird. Super sus. Yeah. Super sus. Another thing that they had taken was data printouts from the motion detectors throughout the museum. Although they had taken the printouts, the computer's hard drive had a copy that they may have been unaware of, seeing as it was left undefiled. The thieves did leave one thing at the security desk, which was a frame of one of the pieces they had stolen. Why? I wonder if they just left it there as like a taunt? Or maybe they're like, we don't have enough space in our arms yeah. to carry all this. They're like, this is gonna just stay here. Yeah. yeah. That, I mean, that's what they did with the Rembrandt, so fair. Next on their list was to take the artwork out of the museum, which we can only assume they did via the side entrance because data shows that those doors were opened at 2.40 a.m., and one last time, five minutes later, at 2.45 a.m. All in all, the heist lasted a total of one hour and 21 minutes, which, for frame of reference, is the complete runtime of the 2004 movie Beyond Sunset, which I have never actually seen before, but you get the picture. <laughs> so, basically, in the time it took to watch one movie, mm -hmm. they have robbed a full museum. Yes, yep. Okay. And bound the guards. Yep. Oh, yeah, that too. That too. And taking all the evidence. Mm-hmm. Yep. Wow. Like any other 24-hour job, you rotate shifts throughout the day or night. The next round of guards were headed into their shift when they noticed something seemed off. Their gut told them something wasn't right when they couldn't reach any of the guards on duty that they were supposed to be relieving. Their intuition was right. Something was wrong. Trust your gut. Trust your gut, nerdlings. The security director was called upon, and they entered the building. They noticed right away that there was no guard at the watch desk, which was very, very unusual. 
So they called the authorities in. When police got there, they secured the building by searching the grounds. In doing so, they had found the previous shift's guards tied and bound in the basement. In 2013, the FBI had their sights on a possible suspect or multiple suspects. The FBI had stated with a high degree of confidence that they believe they had pinpointed who the thieves were. They had also stated that these thieves were based out of the mid-Atlantic region that stretched out to New England. The information is very limited as to what happened and who done it. Hmm. Were any arrests made? Mm, no. Interesting. It is believed that following the heist, the stolen works of art had made their way to Connecticut and Philadelphia. The authorities had a lead when they had caught wind of a possible sale that had gone down in Philadelphia in 2002. We are not sure if anything had come of this possible sale, but the authorities did ask for the public's help if any further sales were conducted or known about. As we stated before, the authorities had believed they had the right suspects in mind. In 2015, the authorities had stated that both suspects had died. There was not much more said on the subject, and no names were released. I'm surprised they didn't name who they were. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's still under investigation, so they're trying... Must be. Or maybe they're trying to recover the work, so they don't want to. Mm-hmm. Well, I the, bet that's the thing what that I was, was thinking as we were, we were writing the script is I was like, this was 30 years ago. I'm right. sure within the next decade that these artworks are going to come back because, I mean, oh. if somebody passes on and their family has to go through their belongings, like... And they don't know their stolen artwork. Oh, yeah, I see where like, you're we're going. bound to find them in the next couple decades, I feel. Because typically speaking, a lot of times those get donated back to museums. Yeah, or even, like, if there's no family, there's an estate sale or something. Like, 100%, and that ends up, up back. at some point. Yeah, that mm-hmm. makes sense. The biggest question on everyone's mind is how did they get away with it? These people must have had someone helping them. Unknown sources may have the answer to that burning question. These thieves were most likely connected to a gang that was based out of Dorchester. This is quite literally something that would seem like it came out of a movie. This gang in Dorchester was in tight with a Boston Mafia boss by the name of Frank Solem. A lot of gangs will have a cover business, and this gang was no different. They ran their business out of a car repair shop, and surprise, surprise, this shop was run by a man that was in and out of the law, Bobby Donati. So why is Bobby Donati important in this story? Well, a man by the name of Miles J. Connor Jr. was another art thief that had talked with authorities about Bobby. Miles believed that Bobby and another man by the name of David Houghton were the brains behind the Gardner heist. Seeing as Miles himself was an art thief, he knew the signs. Miles had also worked with Bobby on an art heist previously. So in that case, Miles was in prison when the Gardner heist took place, so he was automatically given a pass because he had a solid alibi. Ah, but that doesn't mean he didn't have connections to the outside world. Yeah, that's true, that's true. While Miles was talking with authorities, he had also stated that David Houghton had visited him in jail after the heist went down at the Gardner Museum. David had stated that he and Bobby would get Miles out of jail by selling the stolen artwork and coming up with the money that way. This seemed familiar to Miles because in order to get a smaller sentence, he had given the authorities some of the stolen artwork that he had taken in a previous heist. Oh, okay. So there's more motive behind stealing the artwork because they can get their friend out of jail. That's interesting. I'm sure, and the money, let's be real, the money. 
The Gardner heist still remains unsolved to this day. Rochure authorities have possible whereabouts of the artwork, but they most likely don't have enough evidence to follow through with a solid investigation on where they reside. You can search online to see a list of all the beautiful artwork that was stolen, art ranging all the way back to the 1600s. And hopefully one day in the future, these fantastic pieces of art will be set back in their rightful place for all to enjoy and gaze upon. In honor of the missing artwork, the museum has opted to maintain and display the empty frames, in hopes that perhaps one day the artwork will be returned and can be placed back into the frames so they can all enjoy their beauty once more. Whew, that's crazy. Yeah. So, thoughts. 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 <laughs> the big question. The big question here. Kevin, what's your thoughts? I definitely think that the guards were involved somehow. Mm-hmm. Even if they had to make it look like they weren't involved, I think somehow mm-hmm. somebody within the guard. Like an inside job a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah, I would agree. Somebody knew something, whether or not it was these two or just they were set up, what have you. Somebody in the guards definitely knew. What if it was somebody from her estate? Hmm. The oh. museum was still ran by her estate, right? Or was this? Yeah. Right. So what if somebody within her family or whoever ran her estate had the artwork stolen so they could get paid for the insurance and get paid for the art. Good call because all of those pieces are insured. Hmm. I never thought of this as being possible insurance scam too. Could be anyone in the museum too for that matter. I definitely think there's an inside jobs aspect to this one. I always have. Like for 30 years nothing's been found. Like you don't just pull that off at it. You know? Right. Like, this was well-planned. Plus, there's a lot of little things that, like, add up. Like, the fact that the guard opened the door for no reason to the side. I'm going to come back to that because, to me, that's a signal. The fact that, like, he had just dismantled all of the fire alarms within there. The fact that he had stepped away from the one security alarm he could have hit that would have brought the police. That's, yeah, I don't know. It's all really, like, a lot of little things that add up. Yeah, definitely. And... He turned off the uh, alarm system. Do you think the door opening was him checking to see if it was off? Oh. Or on still? Like, that's that's the big question, though. It's like, yeah, why did that door get opened? Yeah, and because that was the door that the thieves were coming in and out of. That's yeah. where they literally loaded up their cars. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's weird. So, what do you do you think there's a big um, gang affiliation with this? Or It's possible. I mean, all of these guys could actually work for the mob that's not even to me that seems like they could both be in play that's true i think somebody got away with something and they are probably laughing all the way to the bank i mean it's kind of like yeah this has gone down as one of those like urban legends at this point kind of thing with this it's it's a lore now and a myth with this this museum so I don't know. I don't know if they'll ever recover the the paintings. I think it'd be great if they did one day. I don't know if they will. Mm-hmm. I agree 100%. Yeah, they, I yeah. doubt they're ever going to get them back, but it would be nice if they did. It would be really nice. I think it's very sweet that the museum itself leaves the frames so that, one, it's history, too. As much as it sucks, it is history, and you do kind of have to just acknowledge that this theft happened and learn mm-hmm. from it. Um, I'm sure the museum took ridiculous amounts of security protocols after this. Um, I am sure they no longer have just two guards on at night. But um, it's tricky, too, because the two guards were super young. Like, 23 and 25, that's babies, really. Mm -hmm. So, 
I mean, people make mistakes. People do, you know, you're easily swayed at that age. I don't want to say that they were necessarily say they were involved, but I think they were easy to manipulate if they weren't. Right. I agree. Yeah. It's sad, though, because you kind of wish that, like, those are some historical pieces. Like, those are some really, like, amazing artists. So it's sad that those pieces are now gone. I bet a lot of people go to the Gardner Museum just because they heard about the heist. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's been on my list of places to go, so we're going to have to do that at some point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And with that, nerdlings, we conclude this chapter of our story on the (laughs) my stomach is making noises. (laughs) And with that, nerdlings, we conclude this chapter of our story on the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum heist. Thanks for listening. Ash, Nat, thanks for having me. This has been a fun, exciting episode. Thanks for joining us, Kev. Yeah, thank you. Oh, let's plug your stuff one more time. If you guys want to go listen to The Jury Room, you can listen to wherever you're listening to this podcast. Social media is at Jury Room Podcast. Email is juryroompodcast at gmail.com. Again, Ash, Nat, thanks for having me. And as always, stay safe and thanks for listening. Amen, my friend. Thanks for joining. Also, check out Kevin's Addicted series in May. All joking aside, that is a really exciting piece that he's got going on. He is doing a deep dive into people's personal stories with drug addiction. It is very serious. It is very in-depth and very respectful. So definitely let's go show our support when that comes out. I'll be posting all over about it. And if you like this episode or any of our others, we'd love for you to leave us a review on Apple Podcast. You can check out crimetimenerds.com for connecting with us via our socials and for other show updates. We will catch you next time, you crime-loving nerdlings.